for reading that passage. Good morning. My name is Darian. I'm a member and an elder here at the church. And today we are going to look at John 9 and think about blindness and sight. And of course, this is more than just physical blindness. The play in this chapter is between receiving sight once again to someone who had been blind their whole lives. But of course, the theme running through the whole chapter is do we actually really see, even having eyes restored, do we see who Jesus is, see his true identity? So as we turn to scripture, let's pray together that our eyes might be opened today by the power of God. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Uh, Would you, as we've already prayed in our confession, uh, open our eyes to our need of our Savior and open our eyes to see your abundant forgiveness and grace to us in your Son. Father, help us to not only understand and know your word with open eyes and open hearts, uh, but help us to see Jesus. Help us to understand who he is and understanding, Lord, help us to obey. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Seeing and understanding uh, is what the Gospel of John is all about. In fact, at the very beginning of the Gospel, John records Uh, that Jesus' first followers were challenged by Jesus to come and see. Uh, After Philip is challenged, uh, he talks to his friend. He turns to his friend Nathaniel, and he uses the same phrase, "Come come and see. The idea of seeing shows up later in the Gospel of John with the Samaritan woman. As Jesus and the Samaritan woman had been talking at the well, she goes back to her home, And she tells the people of her hometown, she says, Come and see a man who has told me all that I ever did. In the remaining portions of the Gospel of John, Nicodemus in chapter 3, the official and his sick son in John chapter 4, the paralyzed man in John 5. These are all stories about people who are attempting to see Jesus. And in their struggle to understand both who Jesus is and his significance in their lives. In fact, back in the prologue, the very beginning of the Gospel of John, John says this, John says that no one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has revealed God. It's it's like John is saying at the very beginning of his book, look, no one has understood, no one has seen God, not the Gentiles, not the Greeks, not even Israel. But Jesus, Jesus knows the Father. Jesus has seen and knows God. And if you see Jesus, then you see God. This is the very purpose of the entire Gospel of John. The very end of the Gospel, he says, but these things are written so that you may believe or see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing or seeing, you may have eternal life in his name. So here in John 9, the familiar perhaps story of the man born blind, it's an, another invitation in the Gospel of John to come and see Jesus, to know his identity. Here in John 9, Jesus is called the light of the world. Uh, and here in the story, Jesus uh, shines like a light and it enables some to see Uh, But for others, the light gets in their eyes. They squint and they turn away. They're blinded and they do not see. The irony is is that the the, the people who should see don't. 
Uh, and the person who can't even see, the one who doesn't have sight, not only is his eyes opened, but he in the end is the one that sees as well. So the challenge for us, I think what the word of the Lord for us today is, is this, do we see? Do I see? Do I understand who Christ is and who he is in my life? Do I see him? Or have I used religion or skepticism to turn a blind eye to who Jesus is. If you're, if you're taking notes, there are two major points. First, we're going to see Jesus through the eyes of the Pharisees. And the second, we're going to see Jesus through the eyes, ironically, of a blind man. The first point, seeing Jesus through the eyes of the Pharisees, will have three kind of sub-ideas where uh, we're going to look at um, how the Pharisees saw Jesus through the law, through skepticism, and finally through religion. So, first of all, how, how do the Pharisees see? Seeing Jesus through the eyes of the Pharisees. If you have your New Testament with you, I might encourage you to turn to John 9. There's a portion of the text I'm going to read this morning that wasn't in the insert. Looking back at John 9, starting in verse 13, here um, we see Pharisees looking at Jesus through the law. Let me read verses 13 through 17. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. Now at this point of the story, um, the, the bit that Annalisha read already, uh, the miracle has already taken place. The man's neighbors and acquaintances, they have already asked their questions. They've already asked, How on earth is it that this man born blind has received a sight? And here in verse 13, Enter the antagonists to the story, the Pharisees. This blind man is brought to the religious leaders. And for the first time, we're told of an important detail, that he had been healed on the Sabbath day. This is important for the Pharisees because their first and foremost concern was with the technical observance of the Jewish law. This is the primary lens used to understand what Jesus had done. They asked, was it legal? Was it proper? Was this act done in accordance with the law? But we need to realize that the Pharisees aren't only asking, was this done in accordance to the law, but in accordance to their understanding of the law. You see, the Pharisees were a religious group of Jews in the first century who not only read the Old Testament, but they also received the traditions of man. Mark chapter 7 talks about how this group of religious leaders not only read the Old Testament, but they also received all these traditions that had been passed down from pious leader to pious leader. And see, it's, it's through this oral Torah, or it's through this particular interpretation of the law that the Pharisees were looking at what Jesus had done and drawing a conclusion about him. 
In verse 16, it's pretty clear that these Pharisees think that Jesus broke at least one, maybe two of the laws of God. Uh, they say he did not keep the Sabbath. Healing someone whose life was not particularly in danger on the Sabbath day was considered breaking the Sabbath. Uh, it was not observing the Sabbath in a proper way. Beyond that, if Jesus is putting himself forward as a teacher and he himself is breaking the Sabbath, then a second law is broken. He's, he's failing to teach others. Not only is he breaking the Sabbath, but now he is failing to teach others the right idea about the Sabbath. So in the eyes of the Pharisees, Jesus is disqualified as a messenger of God, even though he just opened the eyes of a blind person. Notice how the Pharisees are evaluating Jesus. It did not matter that he opened the eyes of a man who was born blind, but that he broke Sabbath, that he was not following the law as they thought he should. Now, let's think about this in terms of our own Christian community today. If you're a believer, if you're a member of Trinity, perhaps this is a moment to reflect, reflect upon the kind of community that we have here or that we are called to. There's a type of Christian community which very much, like the Pharisees, are primarily concerned with behavior. How is it you're behaving? Uh, in fact, I call this, a, or I've heard it called, a behave, believe, belong kind of community. And it's in that order that you're accepted. You, you have to behave a certain way. So wear your best clothes, be on your best behavior when you come to church on a Sunday morning. Make sure you are telling everyone you believe the right things. Then and only then can you be part of our community. Once your behavior is straightened out, once you believe the right kind of things, then, then you can be a part of us. Perhaps this is a kind of religious fundamentalism where you can only be a part, you can only receive love and care if you behave the right way, if you believe the right kind of things. When we as Christians divide people into two kinds of groups, people who believe and behave like us and those who don't, realize we are judging. We become judges of other people. Uh, in the book of James, uh, James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 says this, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. You hear what James is saying? When we're making divisions and distinctions, when we're making judgments like that, you don't behave right, you don't believe the right thing, you can't be a part of our group. When we make a judgment like that, James is saying, we're not just judging another human being, we're judging the very law of God. How ironic that the Pharisees, who wanted to follow the law, James would say, they're actually setting themselves up as judges of the law. If you have your bulletin that you had in your hands a few minutes ago, turn to the very first page of the reflection quotes. The, the last quotation there is from, of course, a famous pastor, Tim Keller, and he's illustrating well this idea, failing to see Jesus because we're seeing Jesus through some kind of legalism. The last quote there says, Keller says, The Bible's purpose is to show you how God's grace breaks into your life against your will and saves you from the sin and brokenness otherwise you would never be able to overcome. 
Religion is, if you obey, then you will be accepted. But the gospel is, if you are absolutely accepted and sure you're accepted, only then will you ever begin to obey. Those are two utterly different things. Every page of the Bible shows the difference. Here, the Pharisees are rejecting Jesus because they're judging him against the law. And by doing this, they are failing to see. I think here, we we take warning, we take note. Our community shouldn't be a community of self-righteousness, but our community is one of grace, where when we feel the acceptance of the gospel of Jesus, that's then what draws us to repentance and leads us to a new way of living. So instead of having a behave, believe, belong kind of community, flip it around. We belong because the gospel of Jesus welcomes us. And then as we belong to the community from, through Jesus' grace, we will start believing the right kind of things, and then and only then will our behavior begin to change. The Pharisees had grace backwards. So seeing Jesus through the law is no way to see him at all. How about seeing through skepticism? Look at the next part. Here you'll have to turn to your New Testament to see. I'll read verses 18 through 23. Verse 18 says this, And and the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus as the, uh, to be the Christ, that he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. Notice here that in verse 18, there's a character change. The Pharisees seem to fade in the background, and now it's just a group of Jews. And the group of Jews, they just are flat-out skeptics. It's not an issue of, uh, of the law. It's an issue that they just don't believe this poor beggar story. They're trying to find out the fake. It's not an issue of a law, but it's an issue of skepticism. I think partly the reason why the Jews are skeptical is because they see this man who was born blind. They think he's a sinner. Uh, they think he's a dodgy character. He's shady. He's not going to say the right kind of thing, so they're skeptical of his claim. And they want to dig down underneath the claim because they think they've already made a judgment in their mind. They think they're going to find that the beggar is a liar. But realize that this skepticism is not only directed toward the beggar, but it's also ultimately directed toward Jesus. They want to expose the beggar as a liar, but they want to expose Jesus as a fraud. But this is skepticism. No matter what they actually find out, right? They, they listen to the parents, and the parents say, look, you know what? Go ask him. doesn't matter what they find. They've already made a judgment. They've already come to the conclusion that they're skeptical about this claim. Now, now maybe we think about ourselves, whether, whether you're a Christian here today or not, I think we should say, and it's important to say this in the church, that believer in Christ or not, we all have doubts. We all struggle. 
even believing in Jesus Christ, there are moments when we say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Whether we're following Jesus or not, I think that's true of us. But perhaps you're here this morning and you're still trying to figure out what Christianity is about and you still struggle with or you still have a pervading sense of skepticism. Here, I think we first need to, des- to describe the kind of skepticism we see. The Jews have a kind of religious skepticism. They uh, have a skepticism based on what they think uh, about the law, what they think about the coming Messiah, what they think about culture at the time, what they think about keeping the Sabbath or failing to keep the Sabbath. So they have kind of a religious skepticism that we see here in the text. Perhaps you are experiencing a modern skepticism. Um, It's not a religious skepticism based on a a Jewish interpretation of the law, uh, but it's a modern skepticism based on the law of nature. Modern skepticism runs something like this. Look, the Bible can't be reliable because it tains descriptions of miracles. And we know, according to science, that there is no such thing as miracles. The argument goes like this. If, if, if miraculous events do not happen today in our world, then ipso facto, they could not have happened in the first century. They couldn't happen back then. Therefore, when the Bible makes claims about miraculous events, the Bible is false. But now, I guess I want to address this by saying the following. We, we, the skeptic might look at the person who's religious and say, well, they're guilty of making a leap of faith. Miracles don't happen, but they read the Bible, and so they make some kind of leap of faith in believing that the Bible is true. But I want to say that the modern skeptic is making a leap of faith as well. The leap of faith is something like this. Modern scientific uh, inquiry cannot prove or disapprove Miraculous events. Uh, Coming from a place of skepticism in miraculous events is really a philosophical starting point, not a scientifically proven point. It's starting with a point of faith, just with a different set of beliefs, a different worldview, a scientific worldview. So here we see religious skepticism in John 9. We might be well aware in our world of a modern scientific skepticism. Either way, whether for religious reasons or for modern philosophical reasons, our pre-commitments can often keep us from seeing who Jesus is. And sometimes we need to come uh, with pre-commitments and presuppositions laid on the table. And I hope that church is a place where we can do that whether following Jesus for years or still struggling to see if we want to follow Jesus, can we come and assess our pre-commitments and see Jesus clearly as we assess what we, you know, our presuppositions? So we, we see a, a legalism that obscures a view of Jesus. We see a skepticism that obscures a view of Jesus. But how about religion? Can religion actually keep our eyes shut to Jesus? Yes, is the answer. Look at verses 24 through 34. Here at the end of the story. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, "Uh, I've already told you, uh, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear again? You do not want to be one of his disciples, do you? That's a really dangerous question to ask at this moment, by the way. He's under trial. Um, Yeah, not a smart thing to say. 
but you can hear the kind of exacerbation in the blind man's voice. He's like, guys, I already told you. Why did you bring me in front of the court a second time? I don't know who this guy is, but I know he's opened my eyes. Here, I think, uh, we'll actually need to keep reading in verse uh, 28. They replied, they reviled him, verse 28, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. I'll stop there. Notice that this is a religious objection. The Pharisees um, are are basically kind of having this spat with this blind man, uh, and the Pharisees are saying, look, um, you are his disciple, we're not following this guy. This, 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 isn't a, this isn't an objection from the law, and it's not a, an objection from skepticism, but this is a, an objection from a religious gut-level response. Basically, the Pharisees are saying this. They're following a very religious way of life. They're saying, look, we obey, and, and God rewards us. We follow the right people. We follow Moses, and, and God will bless us. We play by the rules, uh, and God will help us win the game. This is a very religious objection to seeing Jesus. Here, I want to call this the, the, the vending machine view of God. Uh, religion tells us to press the right God button, pray the right prayer, do the right thing, and out comes righteousness before God. Out comes a manufactured happiness. Out comes a good life. Uh, perhaps... Uh, perhaps this is not religious fundamentalism, but perhaps this is kind of a cultural evangelical Christianity, if I can criticize our own house. Eric last week talked about three different responses to culture. Christians can avoid culture or attack culture or assimilate into culture. Uh, Here, it maybe is an example of a kind of assimilation, an assimilated form of Christianity that bears out what I'm calling a vending machine view of God. If we say our prayers, if we read our Bible, if we behave like we're supposed to, then God will give us our best life now. God will respond. He will bless us. But this is not really how God works. At the bottom of this kind of approach to God is manipulation. If I do these things, then God will do these things for me. And it's, it's, it's vending machine uh, God, right? But, but it's really, at, at the bottom of it, at a heart's motivation level, this kind of religion is manipulating God, making God do what we want Him to do for us. This actually isn't proof of knowing or seeing Jesus. It might look very religious. It might come off as being Christian. But it's a cultural, assimilated kind of Christianity. One that doesn't really bear out having seen who Jesus is. So these are three ways of seeing Jesus uh, through the eyes of the Pharisees, whether through the law or through uh, religion. Um, They're not ways of understanding. Here, second, and just briefly uh, at the end, how do we see Jesus through the eyes of of a blind man. And, and just let's look at the uh, irony of the passage, right? The, the one person that doesn't have sight is the one person who actually sees Jesus correctly. Uh, it takes a fair bit of humility to say, yeah, that's the kind of person I want to be. <laughs> I want to be the blind man. 
not the religious leader. I want to be the guy who is a beggar, not the people who have religious status. I want to be the person who is least uh, or less than, uh, not the person who has some kind of standing. Look at, uh, look at verses 30 through 34 again. Starting in verse 30, the man answered. So the, so the blind man is responding to this religious objection. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from. He opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone, who worship, uh, anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard of that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could, not, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Now, now two things I want to see here in how the blind man is understanding. First of all, notice in verse 31 that the blind man actually sees Jesus still at this point in the story like the religious people see him. I think the blind man, though his eyes have been opened, he still doesn't understand Jesus correctly because he says in verse 31, we know that God does not listen to a sinner. Basically, the blind man is agreeing with some of the religious perspective here. God cannot hear or countenance or listen to a sinner. But implicitly, the blind man is defending Jesus. He's saying, look, you know what, though, at the end of the day, even though religiously this is hard to understand, how could this person not be from God and yet open my eyes? And then you receive the response of the Pharisees. They basically discount the blind man. They say, all right, well, what we do know is you are a sinner, and they cast him out. Notice here, that I think though the blind man's eyes have been opened, he still needs to see Jesus. Look at verse 35. Here's just the last part of the, the passage. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord... I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus goes on and says this, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. You see, it's here at the very end of the story that the blind man had received this miraculous gift from Jesus, but he still did not understand the significance of, who, of Jesus' true identity. When this man was cast out of the religious community, Jesus came to him and then interacted with him and, and, and said, look, do you understand what hap what's happening? And of course, the blind man said no. And Jesus says, look, do you believe? And then, and then once the blind man is confronted with Jesus's identity, look at his response. His response is borne out in worship. So here's what we learn from the blind man. Um, we, we learn that though he had experienced uh, this healing, that he still needed to see Jesus and to respond in worship. Here, I'd say something like this, uh, as we're confronted with seeing Jesus, that there's no room for pride. 
There's no room for some kind of confidence in our religious convictions, though, though, though theology is important. What we need to do is we, we need to have an encounter with Jesus. We need to have our eyes opened. And the only time that we can actually have our eyes opened is if we come to Christ and we confess our need. We need to cease from striving. Cease, perhaps, from following a path of righteous self-righteousness and law-keeping or skepticism or perhaps even religion. But we need to see the light of Jesus. And we need to have him open our eyes. Uh, as, 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 as way of closing, um, one of my favorite uh, stories, favorite musicals, of course, is Les Mis. Uh, and the illustration between the two main characters of Javert and Valjean uh, is telling. And, and maybe you know some of the story. Um, it's a powerful portrait of seeing and failing to see. Javert is the almost maniacal, law-obsessed inspector. And Valjean, of course, is the thief. And throughout the story, Javert is chasing Valjean. Um, and in, in at least the uh, musical portion, uh, Javert sings a couple of songs that really portray what it means to be blind, to be blind to the grace of Jesus. As Javert is pursuing Valjean, he sings about Valjean. He knows the way in the dark. Mine, Javert says, is the way of the Lord. And those who follow the path of the righteous, they shall have their reward. And if they fall as Lucifer fell, the flame, the sword. And so it has been written on the doorway to paradise that those who falter, those who fall, they shall pay the price. Javert is obsessed with following the law. And he thinks that he is right in following the law. But at the very end of the story, there's a moment where Valjean has captured Javert. And Javert is, is bound by some ropes. And Valjean has the opportunity to, to end it, basically, to kill Javert. But what does Valjean do? He lets him go. And then at the very end of the, the musical, Javert is alone, reflecting on this moment of grace. He cannot compute why Valjean gave him grace. He comes to a point where he actually throws himself over the abyss into the Seine River because his worldview couldn't account for mercy. His law-keeping couldn't account for how it is that the person he had treated so poorly, the person that he had been unkind to, would give him mercy or grace. The, the question is, is, why did Valjean act that way? Why did Valjean show grace and mercy to the person who had persecuted him all his life? Well, you have to rewind the story very, back to the very beginning, where Valjean had been just released from prison, and a Catholic priest showed him mercy. And the evening where Valjean spent the night in the Catholic priest's home, Valjean stole some silver out of the priest's home and ran away. And, and when the French police brought Valjean back to the priest and confronted Valjean about his thievery, what does the priest do? But he bends down and he pulls out the most precious object that the priest had, the silver candlesticks. And he said, oh dear Valjean, you forgot the best part. I give these to you as well. Now go. And in that moment, Valjean's eyes were opened to grace. He saw something that was bigger than himself. Not deserving it, he 
received mercy. And that moment indelibly marked him. In that moment, he saw grace. And later in his life was able to extend it. Here's the question. Have we experienced that kind of transformative grace? Are our eyes open to see Jesus and to see how he transforms us and wants to put our lives on a different path? Or are our eyes blind to Jesus' true grace to us? Uh, A way we see grace pulsating through our lives is if we can show it to others, like Valjean showing it to Javert. Are we able to extend the grace we've received to others? That is a diagnosis of our own hearts. Let it be that we are ones who can show mercy to others because we have richly received mercy from Jesus. Let's, Let's pray together. Our Father, as we think about your word, as we think about blindness and sight, oh Jesus, please be merciful to us. Lord, we repent. Those of us who are legalistic or self-righteous, Lord, we, we repent. We want to see through or despite our, our law-keeping. Father, for those of us who are skeptical and still struggling, help us to see Christ even though we doubt, even though we have a persistent skepticism. Lord, for those of us who are deeply admired in a religiosity, that obscures the face of Jesus. Oh, Father, rescue us. Help us to experience the transformative grace of Christ and then empower us, Lord, to show that to others in a community of grace. Lord, we pray that even now we would see Jesus clearly and be transformed by his love and grace. In Christ's name we pray.